I'm back. That's right. I am back to my active duties here on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Specifically speaking, marking out the day's weekend warriors. I am your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and... What a great way to kick things off this week here on Marking Out Today's Weekend Warriors. What a great way for me to come back and jump back in the saddle again by taking over the reins by myself, flying solo these next couple of weeks. Uh, Kobe has got some personal things he needs to attend to, some retromania business and some real life stuff that he's got going on. So Kobe's going to do that while I take over the reins and hopefully do do uh, marking out the day's weekend warriors some justice by doing this solo. Um, just give you guys a quick update as to what's been going on with me personally. Um, you know, I, I about a month ago, my brother got married. I've had family in town from out of town that's actually been staying with me, so it's been a little bit difficult for me to podcast, and so that's why I had to take a little bit of a sabbatical, so to speak. Um, I did still pump out a few shows from Kicking Out at Two, um, which you can find over in the archives at the Retro Mania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. I had those shows in the can actually before um, my sabbatical, but um, you can check all that stuff out there over at the Retro Mania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. And if you're not a part of that, you definitely need to be a part of that. So head on over there to Podbean, search Retro Mania. You'll find all the great shows that the Retro Mania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network has to offer, like this show, Marking Up the Day's Weekend Warriors, like my show, Kicking Out it too like hulkamania is dead gaijin wrestling radio origins of attitude and so much more bonus content as well we're going to be pumping out some more bonus content for you guys in the very near future kobe's kobe's working on that as well so uh we're going to get some of that to you guys out there and uh you know, change things up just a little bit, tweak the tweak the network just a little bit, uh, in hopes that um, you know it's something that you know you guys would like. So um, be on the lookout for all of that. Um, like I'd mentioned, if for some strange reason um, you weren't around to check out all the shows that Kicking Out at Two put out in the month of July, you can do that right now over at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. We had um, this past week I dropped uh, Trading Places Summer. Slam 1991. What if the match made in heaven ended just a little bit differently? What if Mr. Perfect was able to defeat Bret Hart and keep his intercontinental title? What if the big boss man went to jail? What if Meat Sauce Mafia Virgil wasn't the million dollar champion? What if the Legion of Doom didn't defeat the Nasty Boys for the WWF tag team titles? There are so many different what if scenarios and possibilities from this event. You can check that out over in the archives at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network on Podbean. That was this past week next week we're going to be dropping uh SummerSlam 1992 watch party that some of you guys voted for in the poll over at the Facebook page on Kicking Out at Two. Uh, Justin sat down with me recently. We watched that show from beginning to end from uh, Wembley Stadium, UK, London, England. Uh, it was a lot of fun covering that event. And um, it was actually more interesting from a behind the scenes perspective uh, watching that event because. Of my work that I've been doing on this show, marking out the day's weekend warriors, covering superstars from 1992, and how the storylines on superstars have played out to where we've gotten to um, with with the SummerSlam event, because there's a lot of different changes and some alterations that just I was scratching my head at when I was watching this event and going back and doing research. So uh, Justin, my brother, joins me for the first time since he became a married man, and we watched that show from the from beginning to end. Everyone knows it's most famous for the Bret Hart. 
Davy Boy Smith wrestling clinic that, that, that they put on in front of 80,000 people. So we get to watch that WWE Network. Hopefully, you guys, you can watch that with us, too. That drops next Wednesday over at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. Speaking of the social media, um, be a part of the social media fun with the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find Retromania on Facebook. It's Retro with a W, R W R E T R O Mania. You can find that on Facebook. Uh, give us a like. Tell a friend to give us a like who loves nostalgic pro wrestling. Uh, we got links to archive shows up there, different funny videos and pictures, kind of similar to what I do on Kicking Out of Two. Retromania kind of does the same thing. So uh, give us a give us a like over there. And you know what? Follow us on Twitter. We have a Twitter. The following, just like the Kicking Out of Two Twitter, is not as strong as the Facebook following, but. Give us, a, give us a follow over there on Twitter. It's ret, at RetromaniaPod. Retro with a W. So go over there and give us a follow. All right. Um, cheap plugs out of the way. Kind of gave you guys a little bit of a background as to why I was gone. Kobe's not here this week or next week. So I'm going to be kind of taking over the reins a little bit. Um, you know, before I left and made my, uh, my, made my sabbatical, I should say. Uh, Kobe introduced uh, a, a new concept or a new portion of the show where we um, kind of add a little pop culture flavor to the uh, the, the presentation, and we we uh, we would cover um, you know hit songs on the Billboard charts as well as movies from that particular week. So the uh, on this date, August the first, nineteen ninety two, the the song that was number one on the Billboard charts that had been. Number one on the Billboard charts for a number of weeks before this was Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot. Now, uh, you know, I, in 1992, I remember hearing this song, um, but uh, I wasn't old enough to really understand it. And uh, now that I am a much more mature and older uh, wrestling fan, um, I definitely understand it. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, it's a go-to song for every for 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 every unrhythmic individual that likes to sing karaoke. I can't tell you how many times I've been to a bar and there's been karaoke, and someone will play, it and it's the most. Um, it, the song, for some reason, transforms the person who has no rhythm or ability whatsoever into this fucking performing artist. It's unbelievable. I, I just, I just, I'm, I'm astounded by it. It's, it's got some sort of magic twist or some magic pull on the individual. Um, there's a friend of mine I work with who uh, has no rhythm whatsoever uh, when it comes to music and, and even singing, and he can belt this song out on karaoke, you know, just like that. It's, it's, it's unreal. So. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that, 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 that's my take on baby got back. Um, you know, the it's, it's, it's a song that's, you know, it's timeless. It never ends. I mean, it, it can go through generations and generations and people will sing the song. Um, and this was a period in time in pop culture in 1992, to the best of my recollection, where, um, hip hop was becoming more prevalent in the music charts and in the music world and really taking over the mainstream and, in, and in many facets of the mainstream, whether it's uh, you know sports and entertainment and you know movies and television and things like that, and even wrestling too. So um, yeah, this is uh, this this is an interesting uh, um, choice for the number one song of the of the week at that time on August the first, nineteen ninety two. The number one movie um, that week 
out in theaters was Death Becomes Her with Bruce Willis and Meryl Streep, a movie I had never watched before. So I really can't comment or give you kind of any insight regarding this movie. Um, I didn't do any kind of research on this movie because I didn't watch it. So therefore, I don't want to give you guys a review or recap of this movie that just I didn't get a chance to watch. So, um, yeah, Death Becomes Her was the number one movie um, in uh, 1992 on August the 1st with Bruce Willis and Meryl Streep. All right. I got the pop culture uh pop culture stuff out of the way that was you know hopefully i did hopefully i did you justice cope hopefully i did you justice i know this is a, a concept you kind of threw into the mix and uh, you know I, I was all on board for it but um you put a lot more enthusiasm and a lot more uh uh, what's the word? Uh, yeah, I'll just stick with enthusiasm. I'm not gonna try and overthink it. Um, into the into the part of into this part of that show. So um, you know, I, I greatly appreciate it. But yeah, we are now gonna get into the day. Okay, we're gonna get into the day that is. August the 1st, 1992, and we're going to begin with WWF Superstars from the Glen Falls Civic Center in Glen Falls, New York. Your hosts, as always, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, and Vince McMahon. Um, and this week in action, they run down the card with Bret Hart, Papa Shango, <laughs> the Legion of Doom, the Nasty Boys, and an interview with The Undertaker, plus more SummerSlam match announcements. Um... They open this show with the Nasty Boys facing off against Kerry Davis and Ross Greenberg. Um, typical, uh, you know, enhancement match with the Nasty Boys. They just kind of beat on these guys. They're rough, rugged, unorthodox, smash mouth style really uh, highlighted in this match. Um, it seemed like, uh, you know, there was a push to rebuild the Nasty Boys into something other than a lower card tag team with this feud with high energy. But um, they had curbed the, uh, the, the discussion regarding um, the Nasty Boys and the friction within the, the Hart family, the Jimmy Hart family, I guess you could say, because um, Jimmy Hart had um, acquired the services of Money Incorporated and... Um, the Nasty Boys seem they seem to be on a road to a match with Money Incorporated, an implosion of the two tag teams under the tutelage of Jimmy Hart. But they've kind of put that on the back burner for now. Um, the Nasty Boys uh, win this match as they put um, Davis away with a running power slam, flying elbow drop combination at two minutes and forty seven seconds. Like I said. Nothing really to write home about um, standard, typical uh, Nasty Boy enhancement talent match. We get WWF Magazine update with Mean Gene Oakland next. And he he uh, recaps last week's face-to-face -face encounter between the Ultimate Warrior and Randy Savage, along with Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair coming out to interject themselves. Uh, this led to uh, Savage attacking Flair in the ring and getting double-teamed by him and uh, Mr. Perfect until the Ultimate Warrior made the save. And then Warrior and Savage had to be separated uh you know good little build to to really kick things off with the SummerSlam. uh you know one of the co-main events uh, i thought it was i thought it was well done back in 92 as well as here in 2019 going back to watch it so um that's that we get iron mike sharp going one-on-one -on -one with intercontinental champion brett the hitman Hart. this was a uh, a pretty interesting match because i thought for sure just like most matches on superstars that 
you know, it was gonna, Brett was going to make quick work of him. But Sharp actually had some some periods of time in the match where he had the advantage over Brett and worked on him with his forearms. Um, you had a uh, one of those picture-in-picture um, interviews with uh, Bret Hart's mom, Helen Hart, which, ironically enough, this was pretty funny. She, um, they, 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 the the graphic underneath said Helen's mom or Brett's mom. It didn't say Helen. It didn't give her name, which I thought was um, lazy and stupid. But um, you know, the uh, it seemed like um, she didn't really know um, how to act. In this storyline, they just kind of threw this family feud out there out of nowhere uh, with the announcement of this match. There was no real buildup towards it. They just announced Brett and Davey Boy for the title, and then all of a sudden now the family had an issue. Uh, at one point, she had just, you know, she said that, um, you know, Davey's got the, Davey wants the bell. Brett has the bell. I don't know what we're going to do. Oh, and she was just so, like, upset that this was tearing the family apart. Um, I thought to myself, this was a little forced, but, um, you know, they, they, they still had to go through with it. So, um, they, they, they kind of interjected that segment into the match. Um, Brett puts, um, Iron Mike Sharp in the sharpshooter to win the match at one minute, 55 seconds, even though that, like I said, the match seemed like Sharp had a fair amount of control in it. Um, it was a short match at one minutes and 55 seconds. Uh, we get the standard plug for the WBF magazine featuring an article on the host of that WBF Body Stars show, Cameo Newer. Big whoop-de-fucking-do. Could care less. Could really care less. Anyhow, we move on. The model, Rick Martell, took on Bill Pierce. Um... And defeated him with a Boston Crab in two minutes and 25 seconds. Um, another standard match with the model and enhancement talent. I did like um, in this match how um, Mr. Perfect and Vince were speculating that Sensational Sherry was going to leave Shawn Michaels for Rick Martel um, as those two were headed for a collision at SummerSlam. I thought that was an interesting uh, twist to their match. Um, you know, here's here's an here's an interesting take on the overall build with SummerSlam. Um, the, uh, the the Martel Michaels match um, was just kind of thrown out of kind of thrown together with Michaels interfering in Martel's match with Brett, and it set up a rivalry between the two of them because Rick Martel and Tatanka forever and a day ago were having their issues with each other. Um, and uh, we thought for sure that we would see another Tatanka Rick Martel match, and we thought we would see Sean and Brett at SummerSlam for the Intercontinental Title. Um, so it's kind of interesting some of these matchups and how they were just kind of thrown together at the last minute. Something that I discussed in the, uh, the 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 watch party with my brother on the on next week's edition of Kicking Out at Two, how some matches just didn't seem to match up. You just didn't understand why they just kind of threw these together based on the way certain stories were played out on TV on Superstar. So I was just kind of scratching my head at some of that. And even with the Martel Michaels uh, situation, that was just kind of thrown together um, at the 11th hour. Um, not saying that it wasn't a great match going into SummerSlam, because I'll get into that on the watch party um, next week on Kicking Out at 2. But um, yeah, it was it was an interesting take where they just kind of uh, threw that that idea out there that um, Sherry could leave Michaels for Martel. Um, yeah, so um, we'll see what happens there. Um, we get an advertisement 
of, uh, you know, um, promoting SummerSlam, a little commercial. And then we come back, and it's me and Gene Oakland welcoming The Undertaker and Paul Bearer to the interview stage in the platform. Um, Paul Bearer seems to... to to wonder why um, Harvey Whippleman wants Kamala to face The Undertaker. Um, and so do I, because in the weeks and months leading up to SummerSlam, um, another match that I thought we would see at that SummerSlam was Undertaker and Berserker. Um, I don't know if this is a match on a house show that they that they tested out and they didn't like and they went and switched things up and went in a different direction, but um, it was just very random and all of a sudden Undertaker and Kamala had issues um, because for weeks and weeks and weeks, we've covered it on this show and marked it out the days. Undertaker and Berserker had their issues. Berserker tried to stab him with a fucking sword and then all of a sudden, like, it's announced that he's going to wrestle Kamala. It just was, it was, it, it was strange. Um... Typical promo from The Undertaker, Kamala, the maggots and worms will feast on your carcass at SummerSlam. You will rest in peace. Moving on, we have... Papa Shango <laughs> defeating Tony Roy in two minutes and two seconds. Um, what was what I took away from this match? Not the in-ring action itself, but the commentary from Mr. Perfect, where Mr. Perfect kind of brought the continuity back um, to. to to, to WWF superstars and uh, pointed out, you know, he wondered, he wondered, uh, you know, would, um, would, would Papa Shango put a curse on the Ultimate Warrior to prevent him from competing at SummerSlam for the, uh, the, the WWF championship, resulting in maybe Ric Flair getting inserted into that match and getting his rematch against the Macho Man for that title. Um, that was uh, that. That was an interesting. That was an interesting take. Um, Vince on commentary also uh, wanted to know what happened when uh, when Papa Shango meets the Ultimate Warrior. Um, so it sounds like that match hadn't happened yet on television. Um, but it also sounds like they kind of went in a different direction. They didn't even, they, for whatever reason, they changed it up. I, I mean, I've heard stories that you know both guys didn't mesh well on the live events, but um, you know they they didn't have that big blow off on TV. Um, as far to, to the best of my recollection, uh, going by this timeline here on WWF Superstars. Um, then Mr. Perfect, after the match is over on commentary, wanted to know if uh, um, Heenan and Flair can join him as they pitch the idea to Papa Shango of putting another curse on the Ultimate Warrior. Um, it makes sense from a storyline perspective. Um, it really does that you know they would they would enlist in the services of Papa Shango because he had recently had his issues with the Ultimate Warrior. However, um, it also clearly shows that his character is being phased down the card, and he's not seen his character is not a focal point in the storyline. It's just used in a um, in, on a need to know kind of basis. So um, we then get the SummerSlam report as Mean Gene Okerlund announces the natural disasters taking on the Beverly Brothers for the WWF Tag Team titles, Nails versus Virgil, and the Legion of Doom versus Money Incorporated, all added to the SummerSlam card. Here's what I find wrong with that, okay? And, I've, and I'm, I'm going back to that continuity thing like I've talked about here. Um, 
The Natural Disasters and the Beverly Brothers had no issue with each other on TV leading up to this. As a matter of fact, the Natural Disasters recently won the tag team titles from Money Incorporated. Okay, the Beverly Brothers for weeks and months on end were 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 calling out the Legion of Doom. They were they they, they wanted a match against them. They would you know call them the Legion of Sissies. They would you know take uh, face paint and face paint the the enhancement talent, the Jobber, after they beat them in the match. They even taunted a kid who was wearing the the, the foam LOD shoulder pads you, you thought that this would be the match that you know they were on a collision course um for at SummerSlam, and that didn't come to be and here's another thing too nails and virgil nails and virgil i mean they wanted virgil to to uh to they wanted to give virgil some kind of rub it sounds like by putting him in this match with nails or they just wanted to feed him the nails to really beef up nails but a week prior, the big boss man was um, made his return to the WWF in an interview with Mean Gene Oakland. So I'm just kind of curious why they didn't pull the trigger on Boss Man and Nails. I mean, I get maybe they wanted to feed Virgil to him, but you could have fed Virgil to him on Superstars and still could have put Boss Man and Nails on the SummerSlam card. And spoiler alert. At the end of this Superstars episode that I'm recapping, they announced that Bossman's going to take on Skinner in a featured bout. So Bossman's back and ready to go. I don't understand why they wouldn't put Bossman in a match with Nails at SummerSlam. It was was just kind of scratching my head. I don't understand why they wouldn't have the Beverly Brothers take on the Legion of Doom in a in a grudge match at SummerSlam. They've been feuding for months, and I don't understand why Money Incorporated wouldn't get a rematch against the Natural Disasters for the tag team titles at SummerSlam. I honestly don't know um, what the reasonings are behind some of these booking decisions, but it was a, it was rather confusing going back and you know I didn't remember a whole lot of this before I've been doing my research and recapping this show um, here on marking out the days, but. I was just like, when I go back and watch it now to do this, I'm just like, man, what the heck's going on? Like, it's just, it just seemed very like, I don't know. It it seemed as confusing as the wild card rule in WWE currently. So, um, yeah, that's what I took away from that segment. Um, Speaking of the LOD, uh, they make quick work of Flex Armstrong and Richie Rich um, with a doomsday device in one minute and 48 seconds. Nothing to see here. Standard LOD match. Beat the shit out of someone. You know, they don't get paid by the hour. It's, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. So, uh, yeah, that's what you get with the LOD. Um, the uh, I will say, um, looking back on this, um, with the insertion of the Rocco character, the ventriloquist dummy, and I kind of talk about it a little bit on the, the, the watch party, the SummerSlam 92 watch party that I'm dropping next week. On kicking out it too, um, people have uh, have have looked at this point of the LOD's career as a low point um, because they added this Rocco gimmick and the the ventriloquist dummy, and it kind of you know um, it, it resulted in LOD losing its luster um, as a group. But let's be honest with you, this is wrestling here, okay? Um, you have two guys with face paints uh, with their face painted reverse mohawks, wearing shoulder pads and spikes. Um, and you're upset that they lost their luster because they included a ventriloquist dummy into their um, into their their package. Um, to me, I just don't understand why it would why it's that big of a deal. They're fucking they're they're hawk and animal. They're the Legion of Doom. Yes, they're badass, but it would also be pretty badass that they could um, that that they could take advice from a ventriloquist dummy. Um, 
And to my brother's point on the watch party, spoiler alert, he 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 brought up a great point. He said, you know, you know, I don't know if this is true or not, but maybe Rocco was the manager to Paul Ellering and Paul Ellering was the manager to the Road Warriors. So who knows? It's how you look at it, and how you perceive it. But I mean, I didn't have a problem with the with the gimmick. I thought it was interesting and it added a different dimension to the to the legion of doom characters they were still badass to me it's not like anything changed from an in-ring standpoint they just had another person on their entourage and it was a ventriloquist dummy so yeah didn't really see um you know the the issue with it but a lot of wrestling fans do um we then get a vignette of another vignette of uh you know the debut of razor ramon coming very very soon um he calls out all the old men in the WWF for living in the past. Um, he says, no one cares where you came from. They don't care where you're going. And I'm going to the very top of the WWF. Undertaker, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man. I'm going to knock down all the heroes like a stack of dominoes. Um... And, uh, you know, judging by this vignette and some of the names that he had called out, um, Razor Ramon looked like he was primed for a top spot. Even as a kid watching these, when I would go back, when I watched them in 1992, um, I looked at him as a big deal because he was name dropping guys like this. So, um, you know, it was one of the more uh, memorable debuts from of a from a from a vignette standpoint, because, um a lot of these vignettes that you would get, um, the guy that back in the nineties the and the late eighties, you would get guys that would, that would debut in these vignettes and you would kind of, you, you would, you would get their character featured more, um, the basis of their character. They didn't really set their sights or have an agenda with a certain individual. Um, so you got to know the character first with this here, Razor Ramon, you got a good mixture of getting to know this character in these vignettes, but also knowing what his story or potential story is going to be coming into the company and that was you know he had his sights on certain individuals and uh you know time will tell as to where Reza Ramon stands in the WWF and that about does it for superstars uh and next week uh superstars will see Kamala the British Bulldog the Natural Disasters and the debut of Reza Ramon plus an interview with the ultimate warrior and that thing that wraps things up for WWF superstars um I thought this was a good episode of WWF superstars I didn't think that um that uh you know it was it, it was it blew me out of the water but there was a continued push for SummerSlam but like I said I was still confused by some of these matches that were taking place for SummerSlam and uh, some interesting storyline possibilities that were kind of thrown out there with the the idea of Sherry turning on Michaels to join Martel the idea of Papa Shango um uh giving the ultimate warrior another curse at the hands of Ric Flair Mr. Perfect and Bobby Heenan it was just it, it, it the, the, the continuity in some of those respects was was very well done, and that's what really grabbed me when it comes to uh, WWF um, superstars from August the 1st, 1992. Let's go to... Uh, let, let, let's go to WWF Super... Or, I'm sorry, WCW Saturday Night from the same date, 6.05, TBS. Um... 
Let me find my notes here. Excuse me. I am so sorry. I am being such a dickbag here. I didn't have my notes prepared. Um, nope. Got them right here. Okay. Here we go. WCW Saturday Night, 6.05, TBS, August the 1st, 1992. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We, uh, we begin the show. We open with um, highlights from Worldwide where... Television champ stunning Steve Austin calls out Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for um, for ducking a title opportunity um, because he was home uh, nursing uh, an injury with his uh, with his ribs and he claims that there will be no more title shots for Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um, Steamboat uh, uh, would then rip off his shirt, ready to fight, and we cut to the open of WCW Saturday Night. And we have Jim Ross joined by Bill Watts um, on commentary this week. And Watts opens the show by, by proclaiming that there are no champions in WCW that get to decide who they face. Um, and that Steve Austin will defend the television title on this episode of Saturday Night against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Plus, Watts also mentions that... He, there was a recent altercation between United States champion Ravishing Rick Rude and Nikita Koloff, and he's going to address that later. But it's time to hook him up, as he would like to say. Um, we get Brian Pillman against Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker in the opening match. Um, Pillman... Uh, was just about a month shy from this heel turn with Brad Armstrong, which we're going to get to in a month or so. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But um, here he's, uh, you know, typical Brian Pillman match where Pillman is, uh, you know, uh, using his high-flying abilities against the more ground-based Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, standard uh, um, job guy match with Pillman and Buddy Lee Parker. Um, Pillman would uh, would bring some psychology to the match by working on uh, Buddy Lee's arm for a time or two. But he... Uh, Finishes him off with a missile drop kick at three minutes and 37 seconds. Afterwards, Jim Ross uh, grabs Pillman for a quick interview, and Pillman, uh, Pillman points out Sting's quest to be the world heavyweight champion and defeat Vader as an inspiration to him to regain the light heavyweight championship from one Brad Armstrong. So, you know, the. the the, the signs are pointing to a showdown between the two later in 1992. We get uh, our next match here. Tom Zink. Da, 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 Tom Zink. Da, da, da. Let me tell you why. He's the best of all the guys. Tom Zink. Da, 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 Tom Zink. Da, da. Teaming with Marcus, I let my mother shave my ball bag bagwell. As they take on the tailor-made man and, yeah, boy, Scotty Flamingo. Um, another group of light heavyweights um, in this match, part of the WCW light heavyweight division. Uh, this match was a lot of fun. Um, Taylor and Flamingo really trying to ground Zink and Bagwell, but Zink and Bagwell using their aerial abilities and high-flying maneuvers to counter that. Uh, this was a good back-and-forth fun match. Um, crowd was really into it. There was never a dull moment, and uh, for the most part, they, they managed to keep the fresh guy in the ring. Um, uh, Zink comes over and blasts Taylor with a karate kick. Bagwell makes the cover. One, two, three, and at nine minutes and 33 seconds, Tom Zink, da, 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 Tom Zink da, 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 makes the cover, or no, I'm sorry, excuse me, Bagwell made the cover, Tom Zink and Bagwell for the victory. And then after that, 
Johnny B. Bad, Tutti Fruity, Booty, Johnny B. Bad. Um, talks about how he's he's out for an interview he talks about how he's a great athlete and he's a top contender for the light heavyweight title and that he's so pretty and that he's a bad man and uh he says nobody deserves a title shot at that championship but him so it looks like johnny b bad has his sights set on the light heavyweight championship um you know and looking back on it now i don't remember how i felt in 1992 but um Johnny B. Bad looks awfully big to be a light heavyweight um, in, in WCW. But, you know, teach his own, I guess. Um, I don't know what their thought process was by putting him in that. Maybe they just needed to add some guys into the, uh, the, the fray to really build up that lightweight division. I truly don't know. But then again, it's a lightweight division where you're not allowed to jump off the top rope. Bill Watts' stupid fucking rules, not mine. So, excuse me. Um, coming out next is the Barbarian, as he destroys Chad Bird in one minute and thirty nine seconds. Um, Jr. on commentary discusses how Barbarian and Dick Slater won the United States Tag Titles from the Freebirds on the main event tomorrow night. So he's Jr. is like the human spoiler alert in this match. Um, anyhow. Um, yeah, this was nothing really, um, you know, to write home about when it comes to the Barbarian. Typical match with, you know, him just kind of squashing the job guy. Um, we then get Bill Watts uh, discussing the Nikita Koloff-Rick Rude altercation that he is now um, fining both men $5,000 for their fight in the dressing room. Um which is kind of ironic and kind of stupid at the same time. Um, you know, I get, I mean, I get why he's, why his character is trying to restore some order as the boss. I mean, you know, any, any boss in any job place would want order restored. Um, if there was any kind of, uh, out of control craziness. And so it's no different here with him. Uh, however, this is pro wrestling we're talking about here. This isn't, you know, this isn't the office. So, um, you know, Watts talks about, um, not tolerating the type of chaos under his watch at WCW. Rick Rude and Medusa make their way out, and Rude pleads his case as to why he shouldn't be fined the $5,000 when he's the innocent one. Um, Nikita threw him over the top rope during their match, and Nikita was the one who attacked him in his own locker room. Um, Rude would then call Bill Watts a bully and say all he all he did was to defend all he did was defend himself um rude says you know what i'll pay the fine but i'm gonna take it out on nikita and what he does to nikita will weigh heavy on the conscience of one bill watts um rude then demands a world title shot no matter who the champion is because as the reigning united states champion he's always the number one contender to the world heavyweight championship um rude then wonders if bill watts is going to grant him that title shot or if there's some sort of conspiracy against him and, as, and he he leaves the scene as him and medusa walk away and watts sarcastically says he knows just how innocent rick rude really is um but he did say that he might give Rude a world title shot and perhaps, perhaps even make him defend the United States title against some tougher opponents as well. So we're foreshadowing a little bit of the uh, the, the, the heel wrestler, um, 
against the the babyface authority figure, um, and this is the early shades of that. Um, you didn't see that in WWF. You didn't see somebody really um, give it to Jack Tunney at the time. But Bill Watts was a little different than Jack Tunney. Uh, Bill Watts was a former wrestler, and Bill Watts, even as an authority figure, tried to perceive himself to be a tough guy and on the same level as the wrestlers because. He was a former wrestler, um, so we'll we'll see how that plays out. That's an interesting little uh, take here from this episode of Saturday Night, and uh, we have coming up next Doctor Death Steve Williams with Terry Bam Bam Gordy taking on Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Um, you know. This match here uh, I found interesting because of the ties that Terry Gordy had with Jimmy Garvin as a member of the Freebird. At one point, I think even like Gordy kind of smirked at Garvin before the bell rang when they were in the ring during the instructions. So I thought that was interesting, and they kind of mentioned it on commentary, the history they had as Freebirds, which, you know, I love continuity. I love that kind of stuff. So I, I found that to be very interesting. Um, Doc kind of just basically took over this match. It was very dominant. Garvin didn't really have much of a chance. Um Using a lot of uh, football tackles and um, you know different uh, different uh, submission combinations to Garvin, um, as uh, he got the victory over Jimmy Garvin at seven minutes and forty one seconds. Um, it was a solid match, but it was fairly boring because Garvin didn't really have a shot in hell. Um, after the match. Um, the Miracle Violence Connection say they're the only two guys who can take out the world champion Big Van Vader. Um, as for the Steiner brothers, they just need to bring it. Uh, I, that's That was interesting to me, that they called out Vader. Um, that didn't seem like that was part of the plan. <laughs> um, that, it seemed like they were just kind of going into business for themselves. So... Um, I don't know where that's going to land, but that to me is very interesting. Imagine a Dr. Death Vader match or a Terry Bam Bam Gordy Vader match. I mean, these two big hosses just going out, destroying one another. Yeah, I could just I could just picture it now. I wonder if there's a match out there, if these two have had matches in Japan. Kobe might be able to tell you because Kobe's a big uh, uh, Japanese wrestling buff. Um, I'll have to do some research. Maybe I'll do some research next week. Um, who knows? But... Um, yeah, coming. Speaking of the Steiner brothers, their match is next as they face Mike Thor and Danny Deese. Um, and the Miracle Violence Connection are on commentary watching from the corner of the center stage theater. Steiner's noticed that they're there. You kind of get some interaction between both sides. Um, Steiner's really, really level these two guys, these poor pricks. They had to, you know, be cannon fodder to the Steiner brothers. Um, yeah, just typical Steiners with clotheslines and suplexes and power slams and just taking your head off. Very physical, rough style that, that the Steiner brothers bring um, to this match. Um, the, the Steiners uh, would, would pick up the victory um, as Scott gives the double underhook slam and then plants um, Thor with the uh, Frankensteiner for the victory. Um, and JR uh, calls it the Frickensteiner on commentary. I thought that was funny. Um, Post-match, the Steiners would taunt Doc and Gordy and uh, call them out to get in the ring. But, um, you know, we go to commercial and we don't... Uh, or no, we do. I'm sorry. I'm, my mistake. I'm totally thinking of something else here. Rick would then punch Doc out, and Scott goes for the Frankensteiner on Gordy. Doc pulls um, Gordy out as they retreat. Um, Grizzly Smith, father of Jake the Snake Roberts, and Doug Dillinger keep everybody separated as we go to commercial. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
I apologize about that. Um, just another case of you know leaving the fans want more. These two teams know how to get it done in the ring with each other. They they have good chemistry. The very physical smash mouth style of wrestling, um, but also bringing that that Japanese flavor of wrestling to the presentation. Um, they make for good matches. So um, just an, just more continuity building in this rivalry between the Miracle Violence Connection and the Steiner Brothers. Um, Cactus Jack is out for commentary with Jr. Um, and he calls out Vader as well, wanting an opportunity at the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, Cactus says that Vader never would have beaten Sting if it wasn't for what Cactus did to Sting at Bash at the Beach, or excuse me, Beach Blast in the Falls Count Anywhere match. He continues to say that Vader owes him what nobody else has had the guts to do, and that's give Cactus a world title shot. Um, I mean, he ain't lying there. And <clears throat> I kind of brought it up in the the buildup to the Beach Blast event with Kobe here on Weekend Warriors, where it was kind of strange that Sting had to wrestle Cactus um, in this Falls Count Anywhere match just weeks before he was scheduled to face Vader. And they, they hyped up the match with him and Vader, but then they also hyped up the match with him and Cactus. They were just kind of... Um, really piling it on Sting, and um, there was no real concrete reason why Sting and Cactus had this Falls Count Anywhere match. They had a little interaction at a recent Clash of Champions, but for the most part, um, it wasn't... Uh it wasn't, um, you know, a, a serious matter um, until they announced that they would face each other. So it's it's an interesting point that Cactus brings, um, and maybe the early signs of their rivalry between him and Vader. So time will tell. But I thought that was very interesting. Um, Van Hammer goes one on one with John Peterson. Cactus still on commentary. Um, proclaims that he's a Van Hammer expert. Um, I don't know what that meant, but I'm guessing based on their false count anywhere match at a Clash of Champions, that's the reason why. Um, Van Hammer, nothing to nothing to write home about here. This was it, they, like they tried to like make like this rock and roll character with him, and it just didn't sit. It, it wasn't good at all. It really wasn't good at all. Um, I didn't like it as a kid. Don't like it now. Um, Van Hammer wins with a slingshot suplex that will make Tully Blanchard cry at two minutes and 29 seconds. Um, yeah, it was just awful. Um, Cactus on commentary is probably the only highlight of this match. Uh, I, in fact, it was the only highlight of this match. Um, then we get a pre-tape interview from earlier in the day with Tony Schiavone and Ron Simmons. Um, Ron Simmons talks about being focused on winning the World Heavyweight Championship. Um he discusses uh, the the idea of wrestling his friend Sting, um, but stating that nothing's going to stand in his way of his goal to be the world heavyweight champion. Now, as we all know, Ron Simmons would substitute for Sting the next day in the Baltimore arena um, and defeat Vader to become the first African-American to ever win the world heavyweight title. Um, we get back to WCW Saturday night as JR is talking with Nikita Koloff and Nikita Koloff talks about his issues with Rick Rude and the United States title. And, um, he, here's an interesting uh, way to close the interview. Tells Medusa to stay out of the ring if you don't want to be abused. So uh, I guess 1992 and Nikita Koloff uh, didn't really care about domestic abuse. Um, 
Certainly something you wouldn't say in 2019, that's for sure. All the people on Twitter and everywhere else, everyone else that has a, a, a social media account would be all over him for making a comment like that in 2019. Um, speaking of the man, Vader, World Heavyweight Champion, out next as he faces Jim Nash in another nasty squash match. Um, he hits his signature stiff moves with the, the clotheslines, the forearms, the, uh, the fists, and then delivers the, a... Disgusting power bomb, um, followed by a splash off the ropes for the victory at two minutes and eight seconds. Um, yeah, just a you know, Vader. Vader was always best for. I mean, Vader's a phenomenal performer, one of the all-time greats, definitely a Hall of Famer. I, I'm a big Vader guy, always have been. Um, Vader's best work is when he works with smaller guys. Um, I've said that before, and. You know, there's there could be there's exceptions too, like Cactus Jack and Undertaker um, that he's worked with before. But um, Vader's best work is with smaller guys, um, and especially the way that he beats up smaller guys. You know, and and this is no different here when it comes to a smaller enhancement talent. Um, out next is Sting for some interview time with good old Jr. Um, talks about his upcoming world title match and that he's ready to kick some booty. Oh. And we've reached our main event, the WCW World Television Champion, stunning Steve Austin with Pauly Dangerously representing the Dangerous Alliance, taking on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um, I'll be honest with you. These two guys don't disappoint, and they certainly did not disappoint. Um, and when it came to their 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 match, the in-ring chemistry they have is unbelievable. Um, it's... Uh, it's it's you know these two this is one of austin's underrated rivalries and same thing with steamboat people talk about steamboat and flair people talk about austin and rock but man the the matches these two guys had were were just off the charts that the chemistry was there all the time and these two guys certainly didn't disappoint um the, the the point of this match here and the, the with the finish, um, Paulie gets up on the apron and throws some kind of tape brass knucks into the ring when Nick Patrick, the referee, isn't looking. Steamboat reaches for the knucks before Austin and uses them to knock Austin out. Paulie drops off the apron and the referee counts to three. And we've got a new television champion, or so we thought. As, refer, as referee Nick Patrick begins to raise Steamboat's ham in, in victory, the knucks are still on Steamboat's hands. Like, what the fuck are you doing? If you're going to cheat, you need to hide it. Um, Patrick then reverses the decision and gives Austin the, the, the disqualification victory. Um, yeah, this was, um, like I said, this was a great match. And back and forth, psychology was there. Um, Austin and Steamboat just really worked well together. I can't say enough how good this match was. Um, and, you know, go out of your way to watch this match. August 1st, 1992, WCW Saturday Night. These two put on a wrestling clinic. And they continue to do so in other great matches that they've had. Um, Post-match saw... Um, Post-match saw... Um, Paulie dangerously uh, rejoicing over his victory. And then they announced that next week, Arn Anderson and beautiful Bobby Eaton have accepted um, a challenge uh, from Larry Zabisco and Brian Pillman um, to a tag team main event where Bill Watts has waived the no coming off the top rope rule. Um, he says it's against his better judgment because 
off the top rope is Pillman's entire arsenal. Nobody knows the dangerous lines better than Larry Zabisco. So that should be an interesting matchup. And that ends our WCW Saturday night portion. Um, if I'm going to give this, if I'm going to, I mean, this was a good show as well. Both shows were very good, but if I'm going to pick one winner, I'm going to have to go with, I'm going to have to go with, uh, no, I'm going to go with superstars. I'm going to go with superstars because I think there was a good, you know, the, it, the show flowed very well and each match there was um, a solid story heading into the next pay-per-view at SummerSlam. Um, and made you, made you question, made you wonder, wonder, made you think. There were some matches, like I said, on the SummerSlam announcement where I was like, why are they making this match? But I still think the storyline with Savage and Warrior and now Perfect trying to put Papa Shango in the mix. Excuse me, the Martell stuff with Shawn Michaels and, and Sherry. Um you know, really overshadowed that that entire show and made it more enjoyable for me. So, therefore, um, I'm going to pick WWF superstars for the victory here on this week's Marking Out the Days Weekend Warriors. Thank you all so very much for having some patience and coming along with me by myself. Um, next week, I'm going to be doing the same thing as well while Kobe handles his business. But then in two weeks, hopefully, we're going to get right back on the saddle together again. Um, you know, I don't know who's going to ride bitch, but I got no problem doing it if that's what Kobe wants. And we're going to bring you guys the best of the best when it comes to marking out today's weekend warriors covering superstars and wcw saturday night from 1992 and i'd like to close this week's show by mentioning the recent passing of one of the all-time greats in the history of professional wrestling a guy universally respected by everyone across the board harley race uh harley race lost his battle to lung cancer earlier this week and uh harley had been suffering from some health issues for a number of years these last few years he recently had to cancel a convention appearance due to his health uh, just not too long ago i think it was like a couple of weeks ago um but harley race a guy who um was a staple and a stalwart um in the national wrestling alliance he's regarded as one of the greatest nwa world heavyweight champions of all time the measuring stick in many ways of becoming a world champion in the NWA at that time. Um, universally loved and respected by his peers and colleagues, and his contributions span generation upon generation, um, from his wrestling to his managing to um, uh, his wrestling school that, that is uh, currently running and operating right now. Um, Harley Race is surely going to be missed in the industry. Um, there's plenty of Harley Race stories I'm sure you can find on, on, on YouTube or Google through uh, different colleagues of his over the years about um, the matches that he had with guys like Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes, um, the 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 barroom brawls he was involved in, his, his toughness and his reputation for being one of the toughest guys in the industry. Um, the infamous, um, you know, barbecues that he would uh, host when when wrestling would come into town, when WWF or WCW would have shows in the Kansas City area, he would let the boys come over to the house and have these these legendary barbecues. There's stories just from his legendary barbecues and his famous chili that he used to make. Um, you know, lots of lots of fun memories of Harley Race. Um, I, I grew up remembering Harley Race as a wrestler, as the king, uh, from his time with Bobby Heenan in the WWF, and then trans transforming into a manager with Vader. Um, 
and uh, you know, in, enjoying his contributions. I liked the presentation he had with Vader. Um, I wasn't too into him being the king, but you know, I was more into Hulkamania and other guys. And Harley Race just wasn't on my radar at that time. But I was too young to really understand and realize who he was as a performer. Um, but uh, Harley Race, man. Um, Definitely, you know, the word Lance Storm said it on Twitter this week, you know, that word legend gets thrown around loosely, but it should be reserved for situations like this and for a man like Harley Race. And Lance Storm couldn't have said it better myself. One of the greatest world heavyweight champions on God's green earth. Harley Race, may you rest in peace. And on that note, we're going to end this week's Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors. And we will see you all next week.